0: Stone.com, Matt and Courtney, they're in for Mackie and Judd, and it starts
2: right now.
3: And I've heard JuddBot3000 might make an appearance today. He called
2: me last night, a little bit drunk. I'm very excited. But, yeah, he had things to say. Want to do a show? We can. All right. As well, here's Maya on the left wing. She'll pull up on a long two, and it's good again. 32 for Maya Moore.
3: So I was there last night. Links season ticket holder. By the way, it's Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin from ESPN. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Matt. Uh, was at the game last night. And Maya Moore. We need to appreciate Maya Moore more. Ooh. Get see what I did there.
1: We have our sport. We have our athlete power rankings coming up, and I know where I pretty can I can tell right now where she's going to be on yours.
3: Yes, Maya Moore should be at the top of every rankings that we do all the time because last night she dropped thirty two. And it was one of those things where you don't see very many basketball players who can do this. She just decided, you know, I don't think any of you can guard me. And they were playing one of the best teams in the league, the Seattle Storm. Just decided, no, no, sorry, I'm going to shoot every time and you can't guard me and we're going to win. And she just took over and it could have been more than 32 if they weren't leading by so much. And having seen that last night, such a dominant performance, it was one of my favorite things that I've ever been there to witness, not just on TV and somebody goes off, but actually been in the arena. And it made me wonder, Courtney, if you have been present for something like that, where you walk out of the arena just shaking your head, you cannot believe what you just saw.
1: I think it has to go back to Game 7 of the 2016 Finals with LeBron in the chase down block. I mean, watching that... Oh, you were there for the chase down yes, block? Yes, I was there oh. on on Andre Iguodala, which has made its way into pop culture. Nicki Minaj even knows about it. I mean, it's she, she rapped about it. It's, oh, really? Yes, she did. Iguodala blocks is how she uh, phrases that in a song. But no, wow. I mean, you know, I thought about this when we were talking about it last night. And, you know... to be a lot of my memories of recent sports, stuff that I've covered and stuff that you witness, it all has to do with LeBron James. I mean, first first thing you think about for stuff like that is Game Game 1 of the finals this year mm-hmm. when he had 50 points, and obviously that was the monumental collapse at the end um, because his teammates screwed it up for him. But Game 7, that, that to me, just you know him and Kyrie shot over Steph Curry. That, I don't yes. know. Those two just stick out to me. But, I mean, LeBron in that moment, that was something that was kind of, like, not worldly. It was from a different planet for just how quickly. I mean, that's a signature move. But to go down the court that fast and literally save the game and, I, and, and, and end up winning a title out of it.
3: So, I was in the mall not too long ago and walking by and one of the kiosks had, like, art, you know, and different things. So, there's prints. naturally, and one of the pictures that they had drawn was LeBron James blocking Andre Iguodala. So it's that legendary that it's in the mall, and I'm very jealous that you saw that. I haven't been present for too many super great performances, and that made me think of Drew Brees in the Minneapolis Miracle Game. That He was, in the second half, so incredible that even though they lost and we were all caught up in the wildness of that game, I still, as I got farther away from it, ended up feeling like, man, I'm glad I was there to see Drew Brees pick apart the number one defense in the league and lead this incredible comeback to take the lead. Even though it didn't work out, it was still one of the coolest things I've ever seen.
1: Have you ever seen a no-hitter?
3: No. No. No, have not. Okay. Um, that would that would,
1: if I would have seen one in person, that would have gone up on my list. I've definitely seen a few times where it's come
3: close. Mm-hmm. In baseball, I saw Albert Pujols hit a home run on a curveball that was probably a foot outside. And this was when he was in his prime, and he just reached out and clubbed it way over the right field wall. It was a pitch that ninety-eight percent of people would never ever swing at. But when he was in his prime, he was hitting forty-eight home runs and only striking out fifty times, mm-hmm. which is just ludicrous considering how often guys strike out now. So seeing, him, I've seen him hit a couple of home runs because what I used to do when I lived in Buffalo was drive down to Pittsburgh. I'd see the Pirates play whoever, and you know I got a few there, but. I just, I really haven't had great luck with that. I mean, sure. You go to a game and sometimes it's decent, sometimes it's good, sometimes bad, but seeing Maya take over last night, I I left the arena thinking that was one of the best performances that I've ever been present for.
1: I think it's cool watching people chase records too. In 2007, I think it was July, so like pretty, very close to where Barry Bonds hit 756, he hit a home run at Wrigley Field. And I was up in kind of the 200 level, and just watching how far that thing sailed, but also kind of being like, okay, it's getting closer. We're going to witness history. I got to see kind of part of that. And, you know, the games that I went to during my favorite year in 1998, the home run race with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, just the other day was the, um, was like the I guess that would be the 20-year anniversary mm-hmm. of um, kind of that whole streak starting. I think it was when Sosa, not when he got to 66, but when Sosa got, because that was later in the year, but I think kind of what sparked that. Um... I mean, I still, I, it's 20 years later, and I still talk about that like it happened five minutes ago.
3: I'm very jealous of you seeing a Barry Bonds home run. That
1: was cool. That was I, very cool.
3: I've seen a couple of home runs that went really far, that went like 450 or beyond. Uh, in Pittsburgh, there's a river that goes right behind the stadium, and I've seen someone hit the river, but it was like Garrett Jones or something. It's like, <laughs> okay, I mean, I, I remember him as a Rochester Red Wing, but this is not one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen. I wish I had had an opportunity to see Bonds live. I didn't see a ton of Major League Baseball. But anyway, the Lynx are rolling now, so they've won six in a row after they got off to a three and six start, and Maya has scored more than 20 points in every single game, and she's just decided that she, what she had done the last couple of years is she was just more of a team player because they were so good. Now she's kind of going back to, you know what, we're just okay now, so I'm going to take over all the time, and I'm excited about where the season could go, because when I got the season tickets, I was like, all right, championship, I'm ready. Like, let's bring your title to me as I am in the seats. And then they start three and six. It's like, what the hell? What are you doing, Lynx? It's <laughs> your problem. So now they're back to being the Lynx. Ch-
1: championship teams don't always start off on the right foot. Uh, Remember that.
3: Okay. Was Is there an example there you were thinking of?
1: Well, I'm just saying, you know, this is my own projection. We're talking, obviously, with Vikings here. Let's not necessarily expect they're going to start out 4-0. and if they want, you know, they're coming off a season where they were just shy of making it to the Super Bowl, just like the Lynx. Maybe they'll start out one and two. Maybe they'll start out one and three. A Tough schedule. Lynx didn't exactly have an easy stretch there. Begin, no, no, right? they didn't. So, and it was it was also
3: about like a, a lot changed for them. They mm-hmm. changed some some bench players out and their GM retired. So Cheryl Reeve took over as the general manager and then they had to figure out bench rotations and things like that, too. But the Lynx are back to being the Lynx.
2: You know, we had chances, weird things. The ball off Lance's glove looked like it was going to be a double play ball. And, uh, you know, he deflected it, and we lost that opportunity. So there were some strange things, but obviously we didn't make a couple plays that would have given us a better chance.
3: All right, so the Twins are kind of fading now, and it's reverse happening, Dave. This is exciting (laughs) that it's reverse happening. Yeah. Like, this is what we needed to happen And now it is going back the way that it should. They're 34-41, seven and and a half games behind. And excitingly, they are also only a half game ahead of Detroit, which means they could keep falling (laughs) backward. (laughs) Rooting against your team is always kind of weird. But in this case, you don't want the Minnesota Twins to win a bunch of games and feel like they're competitive because they're not competitive with Cleveland. Cleveland is far better than them. They're winning the division. They're not getting a wild card. We need to get to the trade deadline where they can trade off things to build for the future. So it's reverse happening. Make the shirts.
2: Oh, and even if they are competitive with Cleveland, that doesn't matter because you're still not competitive with anybody else. Right. So go get them. Yes, we'll make the shirts. We'll get those manufactured. We'll get them up by, what, 930? I think we can do that in about 20 minutes.
3: Okay. Yeah, we got an intern here today. Yeah, we'll so take care just of it. Pre- got a hot pre- press in the background. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Brian Dozier had a home run. And if it's reverse happening and they're not in the race, Courtney, do you think Brian Dozier gets traded within the next few weeks here?
1: I mean, take a look at this topple down effect for the last few months. It's been up, it's been down. Burn it down now. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of like right (laughs) before the trade deadline to like completely overreact and just try to you know get some prospects for it. You know, you're not going to be competitive this year with Cleveland. As you said, it's Cleveland and it's everybody else in the Central. And it's been a rocky few months. I mean, take a look at, I mean, you're going to look at back at 2018 and look at the rise and fall of Miguel Sano the whole time. I mean, now, you know, to where he was last year, now he's in single A. Like, that's just, if I'm a Twins fan, which I'm not, if I was a Twins fan, I would take a look back at this and just want to, like, have a gigantic eraser over this entire season.
3: You are a Cubs nerd, right?
1: Mm, Nerd, Maybe. I was nerd I was growing I was, yes I was growing up and not not so much anymore. No okay. I appreciate I, you know I'm definitely a Cubs fan but I, I'm not a nerd as so, I used to be like wa- racing home after school to watch Kerry Wood's 20 strikeouts. That's nerdy.
3: Against Houston, Richard Hidalgo was on that team. It's exciting. Uh, well, Chicago kind of did this same thing, where they were down for a while and sometimes in some ways really down, and they sold off parts and it ended up working out for them really well. I mean, I remember when they sold off Jeff Samarja mm-hmm. thinking like, oh man, you guys just gave away like a good pitcher. What were you thinking? And they end up getting Addison Russell back. And the Twins might have the opportunity to do that here because they haven't yet. And they, and they were up enough last year so you were in the race and you couldn't really sell off everything. If they... Go two and eight over the next 10 games or something, and they are back down toward the bottom with the White Sox with Kansas City. Then it will be very acceptable to the fan base and the right thing to do to start moving on. So, twins reverse happening. This is better for the future. Trust me.
1: I mean, we, I mean, as we were talking about off air, we were talking about this with the Giants the other day, or yeah, they a little bit ago. I mean, if your bullpen keeps causing you issues and it keeps popping up. It's not going to be fixed before the trade deadline now, especially when when you're seven and a half games back.
0: Right. Ding, ding. Conine swings in the first pitch. High fly ball left field. Deep. It's up, up, and away. A home run for Jeff Conine. Some icing on the cake in the eighth inning. Four to nothing, Marlins.
3: So now to the most important part of this entire show it's my birthday.
1: Happy birthday. Thank
3: you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Jeff Conine, Mr. Marlin, former <laughs> Marlin, Oriole, etc. A great man. Um, a renaissance man, really. And one of my favorite all-time <laughs> players because he could play outfield, first base, third base. Um Who's your birthday bros? Like, so he's mine. Your, sport, also, your sports birthday, sports bro. birthday you, have bros. You, did
1: you look up to find out in pop culture who all shares Or well, I don't know if if it's history. F- if, who shares a birthday with you? Yeah,
3: history. Uh, Helen Keller. Okay. Yeah, and That's uh, big. Ross, That's huge. Ross Perot. So <laughs> he stole some votes that one time. Um, Member of the Green Party. Right? Yes. Yeah. Correct. Um, great guy. I think. <laughs> who are your birthday bros, Dave and Courtney?
1: My sports birthday bros are, you know, kind of a more topical one. Austin Rivers. So, okay, happy birthday! So you got on, yeah, my birthday's August first, so I got traded, and my dad savaged me um, with no hearts. That's fine. <laughs> um, Madison Bumgarner is also my birthday bro. I will not oh, okay. be celebrating my twenty eighth birthday by riding around on a dirt bike. Yeah, that's not what I will do. But if you hurt your
3: arm or something, that's fine because you can still talk and write.
1: I- I can you write? I mean, if your shoulder is, yeah. I mean. It took him a year to recover from okay, that. I mean, granted, he's throwing lot. pitches, but, you know, I have to type, and it's kind of hard if you okay, got like, don't Okay, don't do that, then. And Coolio is also Coolio, my birthday, wow. bro.
3: Gangster's paradise. We're living in a
1: gangster's paradise. That's
3: nice. Appropriate
2: for you, really. Very
3: much. Very definitive
2: of you and your career uh dave yeah sports birthday bros (laughs) we've got yachty molina i like that one quite a bit
3: my favorite baseball player
2: but not as much as all five foot seven inches of spud Webb. yes
3: that is my birthday bro and has
2: been for a long time
3: and that's really like you just a small guy who just overcomes everything and rises above challenges oh hype jokes already huh I'm taller than Spud. Uh, you're really just average height. i mean, well, this, taller than But not as some tall as people, me. Yeah, like um, Spud Webb is one of my favorite things that's ever happened in sports. The fact that he won a dunk contest yes. at five foot seven.
2: Just to see him do it, you have to give him the title.
3: Mugsy Bogues' existence in the NBA and Spud Webb, I will never get over it. How incredible it was that that guy not only could dunk, but win an actual dunk contest. That's yes. a great
2: one. It is. That's, I'm very proud of that one. Us well, I got uh, Harrison Ford. He's a birthday bro. Okay, and uh, Julius Caesar. How about that?
1: That's a good. I think that wins. That's
2: not bad. No I might get stabbed in the back now at some point. I don't but... buy
1: it. I don't buy it. What do you do? You not Google him? Do you not believe Julius Caesar had a birthday?
3: No, I believe he had a birthday.
1: I don't believe that uh,
3: we knew exactly when for Dave to have it as his birthday bro. Right there, July
2: no 13th. Dude, what was, is 100 B.C.? 100 B.C.? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Many no moons ago. Yeah,
3: what, is, what was it like, written in the sand? I don't care, I'm taking it. It just solidified? You know, jealousy like, oh, is unbecoming great. of you, Collar. I just because
2: think... you can't have somebody, that's, oh, you get Ross Perot, that's great. Yeah, I finished third in an election, that's At fantastic. I know My guy ruled it's Rome. real. At least I know it's real. Are you not buying Julius Caesar was real as a person? Mm, they no, named a pizza place I'm after him. I'm not saying that he was $5 hot and ready. He was real, because Shakespeare
3: wrote about him, but I don't think that we knew his BC birthday.
1: Is that like the people who question about when Jesus was born? Whether tw- the 25th of December is his birthday, or whether it's some, I think it's some random date in October is when some people think his actual birthday it's is. hard to
3: really know. Yeah, well, I...
1: Dave, Dave, we're going to observe your birthday <laughs> Thank you. this year. I appreciate I'm gonna that. I'm going to need physical evidence...
3: To show me that someone has an actual birth record, birth certificate. I'll need you. It'll be like the DMV, where you have to show like four forms of identification of Julius Caesar. You're sounding
2: birthday. a little like a flat earther right now. Just get over it. Accept that it's true.
3: <laughs> All right. So Brian Windhorst said something of ESPN on Zach Lowe's podcast. That was sort of a kick in the gut a little bit, and we want to talk about that. Got a lot of other stuff. Tony Romo said something interesting about the Green Bay Packers, so we will have Jason Wilde on to talk about that. My reverse it's happening for the Twins, or just the reverse happening. We'll talk to Dan Hayes of The Athletic about all that stuff, but I'll tell you what Brian Windhorst said and why it sort of took the wind out of my Wolves' sails. When we come back, Matt and Courtney in for Mackie and (laughs) Judd.
0: Mackie and Judd resume things following these messages. That is good news. On 1500 ESPN. Hi. We now continue with more Mackie and Judd live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN.
3: All right, Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin as well here in for Mackie and Judd. And uh, we will semi hear from Judd at some point in the show, but it's the Juddbot 3000 to comment on Gary Bettman going in the Hall of Fame. I'm very excited about that. Um, But I was on a flight back home the other day from Virginia Beach, uh, which is where my brother lives, and I was listening to Zach Lowe's podcast on ESPN, and he had Brian Windhorst on it, the uh, insider there, and he was talking about LeBron and where he's going to go. And Windhorst said that he thinks that the Los Angeles Lakers are the favorite for where LeBron goes. And Courtney, my reaction was "Uh, really, I mean, really with the wolves, you finally get to be relevant. You finally feel like you've got some star players. And when Jimmy was in the lineup, they were a 55 win team. And now we have to have the warriors, the Rockets, and potentially LeBron James on the Lakers, like great, thanks. Can we just like sim the season?
1: Can they just block that? Block that from happening?
3: Um, I don't, I don't know if you can.
1: <laughs> just thinking back, I mean, I it's not a trade, so. Oh yeah,
3: that's right. They did that. Was it Chris, Chris Paul? Paul? Right? Yeah.
1: I mean, it's not a trade. It would be obviously signing. In free. I don't know if there's has there ever been a free agency blocking?
3: No, probably not. I don't so. think so.
1: I don't know. I mean, I just I'm so tired of the top-heavy Western Conference where what's going to happen in the East now, if if he does indeed leave, that to me just creates such a wide-open talent gap that, I don't know, these super teams are just, I mean, you're just going to have like a four-team league at this point. And that's just kind of what frustrates me about this current state of the NBA because it's basically the Rockets, the Warriors, potentially wherever LeBron goes, let's just call that Team X. And then who else can honestly stay competitive at this point with the rest of the league?
3: Yeah, Celtics and Philly are probably going to be the teams in the East and then the three teams in the West that will be between them. And the Warriors are probably still the strongest, though they showed a little bit of cracks in the armor. It, w- when I didn't live in an NBA city, I never really minded this. It was like, oh, good, I get to see LeBron play whoever again. And that's fine because I like watching LeBron. But now being here in a place where everyone pays a lot of money to go see the basketball team and where there was so much excitement when they traded for Jimmy Butler, Fox Sports North's ratings were up, the attendance was up, and there were times last year early in the season where it would be legit buzz around who knows? What, I mean, the Nuggets coming in, or, you know, just whoever, whatever team was coming in for that night, and there would be buzz there. Oh, we're playing the Brooklyn Nets. Great. Jimmy's going to rip them apart, and this is going to be fun. And as we went along, it sort of became, all right, what's the deal with Tibbs? And, you know, the, the playoffs were disappointing. But that period of time where we actually had excitement about the Wolves, it now seems like that it will be kind of gone if LeBron ends up with the Lakers instead of hey, maybe the Warriors could slip back a little bit and maybe Chris Paul will get hurt again in the playoffs and I could talk myself into it. Now it's like, okay, what what are you, what are you supposed to do now? Jimmy Butler's not going to be in his prime forever, right? So what what are you supposed to do if you're the Wolves? How are you supposed to compete with these teams? How are we supposed to care on a night-to-night basis about it when you know ultimately what the end is going to be? That's how I will feel if LeBron ends up with the Lakers.
1: Do you remember maybe back a few months ago when before, really before the finals, before we saw just how bad Cleveland was? It was with LeBron and then everyone else, where there was like some, probably, let's say January. I remember the trade Wiggins talk of trade Wiggins, trade Taj, trade everyone else to try to get LeBron, bring him here to Minnesota. Did that, how long did that buzz last? Five seconds? Yeah,
3: not long. I mean, there was a feeling for a little bit where it was like, oh, Jimmy can do anything. (laughs) He can bring anyone here. He got Taj to come here. He got Jamal Crawford, which at the time felt pretty good. So I'd be interested in hearing from some people, whether it's on Twitter or if you want to give us a phone call, 651-646-8255 or 877-615-1500. If you want to give us a call, if you're a Wolves fan and LeBron ends up in L.A., how do you still end up getting excited about the season uh, what, what would be your case I, you could make a case last year hey maybe we'll end up in the western conference final or something this now would be like well how do you even avoid a first round out especially with how tough the western conference is you have utah is tough if the pelicans bring back cousins they're going to be tough I, like what are you supposed to do if you're a wolves fan and what unfortunately ends up feeling like the answer is do you like trade Jimmy or something and just wait it out? I mean, no one wants to do that. So you end up feeling like you're stuck. And that is the one thing about the NBA that's different from all the other sports that we have. Even last year, when the Twins make the playoffs, it's still like, eh, you never know. I mean, we've seen this before. But with basketball and, and where we stand now, I'm not saying that w- there's anything you can really do about it. The Warriors just built their team the way they did. But with super teams, and you're not one of them, you just feel left out in the cold. And to hear Windhorse say that, it was just really deflating for me.
1: I felt like we knew this, though. Even dating back to last year, when Paul George went to Oklahoma City, it's okay, this sets up his chance to potentially return home to California. Does LeBron go with him? D- to It didn't surprise me knowing that, just where... I think all signs have been pointing towards if there's any team. I mean, if I wouldn't rule out Cleveland, too. I read an article from Dave McMenamin on ESPN where it's like, okay, everybody's talking about, you know, what this could potentially be and, you know, with this player option and, you know, he's in line to certainly have a, you know, a max deal. Why not Cleveland? Why not try to rework this roster even further? I mean, salary cap-wise, the NBA is a mess like in trying to understand that you think the NFL is difficult. I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, with these max deals and all the guaranteed money, it just makes it so difficult to comprehend. But, you know, I, I don't necessarily put Cleveland out of the mix here. I do think I, I, you know, I just, even from knowing what we knew last year, that La- that Los Angeles seems like the right spot, a young roster, you know, a talent that, what did magic say the other day? If, if he doesn't lands, if he doesn't, hit a home run essentially in free agency that he's going to retire or he's going to leave. Like, I mean, there's, I think they're going to end up going all in and put forth every effort, but it's, it kind of has been a little interesting because two years ago with Kevin Durant, technically the trade window doesn't open or the free agency window didn't open until again, July 1st, but we heard so much buzz around like eight teams at that time Mm -hmm. going into this. And I know two days from now he is when he can opt out. Is that when the buzz starts? It seemed like this has kind of been quiet, maybe because he didn't show up at the NBA Awards, which is very strategic and smart on his part. Um, I don't know. It just all the buzz around LeBron this time around in free agency is very subdued.
3: And it probably will ramp up once he opts out. And then I'm just going to be, I think, bored with it. I feel like I'm already sort of bored with articles about where he's going. And then I will get even more bored with, oh, this report says that LeBron was in Houston looking at prep schools for his kids. You know, it's just like, okay, are we going to do this again? By round three of where in the world will LeBron James play basketball? I've sort of gotten tired or I'm sort of like over it. The first time with going to Miami was a load of fun to watch people just lose it. I mean, just from a story standpoint, I didn't love it, what he did, but I also thought it was just great theater to see everyone get so upset about him going to Miami, and then the way that he did it will never be forgotten. And then coming back to Cleveland had great drama, too, because, like, oh, he's back. Like, who would have ever thought that he would have come back after this? This is incredible. And then to win a championship for Cleveland, all that stuff, it's all been great following this ride of LeBron James. It's been lots of fun. But if he goes to LA, I'm just gonna feel like that's kind of super lame. And to your point, there is still yes a good chance that he does stay in Cleveland.
1: I mean, they have his bird rights, so he they are the only team that can offer him the Ooh. maxed two hundred and five million bird rights. But I don't know if money really matters to LeBron at this point, given how frustrated he was <laughs> uh, down the stretch of the season this year.
3: Do you? Well, if he goes to LA, will you think that it's like super lame? Because I will.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I already kind of think the NBA is super lame, and I know it's not a popular take. Um, but I covered the Warriors. I, you know, every everything was predictable. It, it you know, as a, as a fan of just basketball, not of that team, but just of basketball, it kind of gets old after a while. Knowing, okay, it's gonna be a four game series. This might be a five game series. That's why this year's playoffs was so much fun. Mm-hmm. The back to back, you know, Eastern Conference and Western Conference game sevens. I mean, that was awesome. Even those games were kind of a letdown. But you know, to me. I don't know, the NBA's kind of losing its luster with stuff like that, and this year's finals being a sweep was pretty much evident of that, and I think that we're going to, you know, if you if you really want a great Eastern Western Conference Finals, okay, but then it's just going to get boring again when it's Celtics-Lakers or Celtics-Warriors.
3: I did enjoy the conference finals, but once it got to the NBA Finals, aside from J.R. Smith running the other way. That will be the it only sh- it thing It should never remember.
1: be that way, though. We're supposed right, to be yeah. ce- celebrating excellence, not incompetence.
3: I feel the same way that I felt when the Lakers were just so dominant and when Shaq goes there and they were playing the New Jersey Nets. Yeah, they were still New Jersey then. And, and they got to the Finals against Philly and against New Jersey, these teams that had no shot against this complete juggernaut. And every time they were there, I just didn't even really want to watch. I wasn't that interested because I knew that L.A. was just going to pound the heck out of people. And it will be interesting if he ends up with the Lakers to see what happens when you get to playoff time. And when those three teams, when it's Houston and and when it's the, the Warriors and the Lakers, if, if he's out there, how those turn out, how those series turn out. Because Houston and Golden State had a lot of drama to it with the Western Conference Final. But just knowing that those are going to be the three teams in the end, it sort of makes you feel here like helpless. Like, well, so should we just like tear it down and wait a little while? But Wolves fans have been through that over and over again, and there's always going to be another rising team. Can you really compete with them? Is Cat going to take his game up a little bit? Is Jimmy going to stay healthy? Can Wiggins ever get it together? And even if all of those things go right, you still feel like there isn't that much of a chance. So I hope that that doesn't happen. I want him to stay in Cleveland. I I want that sort of Eastern rivalry to to continue to build with Boston and with Philadelphia out there. And I think that would be kind of fun to still have that. But then you also feel like, okay, well, then LeBron's probably in the finals again.
1: Do we completely put Philadelphia out of the mix? I don't. No. I think that's honestly his best fit from a basketball standpoint because you just basically tell – JJ Reddick, goodbye, and you put him in at that spot. And that's a team that was that finished, you know, runner up in the Eastern Conference and was a really, really good team to watch down the stretch. And they were fun to watch down the stretch. I think that makes that obviously for for parody's sake, that's probably your best bet. And I think for a basketball fit, that's his best bet.
3: We have some huge Vikings news that is breaking now. The Vikings, this is Tom Pelisero, our old friend reporting that they have agreed to terms on a contract extension for Daniel Hunter. That is big. So let's take a quick break, and let's talk about this when we come back. Vikings signing Daniel Hunter and what that could mean now for Stefan Diggs' future. Matt and Courtney in for Mackie & Judd.
0: The Mackie & Judd Show will continue in a moment. Happy? Yeah, no, happy. On 1500 ESPN. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Four hours of trauma. <laughs> Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. The third and long, it's third and seven, and Foles is ripped to the ground. Daniil Hunter.
3: Hi, right, Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin back in here for Judd Zolgad and Phil Mackey. Uh, we have breaking news. The Vikings agreeing to a contract extension with Daniil Hunter, and as soon as we know... What the terms are, we will let you know. And this is a big one, Cordy. This is a big one. I thought that there was a chance Daniel Hunter would not sign a contract extension because if he hit the open market, he could be looking at $18 million a year. To get him wrapped up, considering his age, his production so far, uh, and also what that might say about the next extension that could come, Stephon Diggs or Anthony Barr, I mean, this is... This is an important one to get him locked up.
1: You know, I think the the emphasis that this league and that Mike Zimmer specifically places on his pass rushers and just how productive Daniil has been the first three seasons of his career, this one was a necessary one. You don't... You never want somebody like this where you're just seeing the cusp of how good he's going to be. I mean, we saw it in 2016 when he had, um, you know, his highest sack total at 12 and a half and then kind of a slow start to get off to in 2017, but still finished the season, you know, with seven sacks and was tremendously productive off the edge. You want to lock these guys up. Everson Griffin's getting up there. I mean, as he continues to progress in age, you want to have your next option always available. And to me, you know... This is probably your safer bet than franchise tagging him and then he hits the open market a year later. I still thought Anthony Barr would have been the next in line. Me too. But this comes kind of a lot sooner than we thought it would. You know, typically, at least in the last year or so, when the Vikings are doing these extensions a year ahead of time, it came for, you know, Everson Griffin, for for Xavier Rhodes, for Linville Joseph. It came right around training camp. So the fact that they're getting these done now. Um, Eric Kendrick's back in April, now Daniil Hunter, uh, makes me think that this is not the last one we're going to see before they head to uh, training camp in the end of July.
3: That's what I thought, too. I, I thought we would be sitting here just sort of twiddling our thumbs, waiting around for one of these extensions to happen, but having it happen now gives them ample time to start negotiating or continue negotiating with the others. I will be really interested to find out, how much they're going to pay Daniil Hunter. Do and you
1: have it? it from Tom Palliser of NFL Network, they're saying Daniel's going to sign a five year contract extension that's going to be about 14 million a year. So that, that's huge. That's a great that, deal. That, that's a top 10. That's a top 10 figure right yeah. there. And for the Vikings, that at least my understanding today, last time I checked, they had about, they were just under 18 million on the cap. So for 2018. So that to me is, that's a huge figure of somebody you're putting a lot of, your franchise's stake into going forward, just knowing what the heck next year's going to be when Kirk Cousins hit goes up and then you might be restructuring a few more deals in there. This is certainly something where th- this is, this is big money. I, but I mean, not surprised I at think all.
3: They got a good deal for him. And it's amazing to me how this organization, even though it's going to be top 10 money in five years, it won't be top 10 money in five years. They could be paying edge rushers, 25 million. I mean, considering how quickly the cap goes up in the NFL and the salaries have gone through the roof, to have him here now at 23 years old, you get his entire prime at a very reasonable price. Hunter, I I think what what ends up happening with these guys, and, and this was with Xavier Rhodes too, is they like playing for the Vikings. They're a successful team. They've got this defense they want to keep together. The locker room is really good with this team. And I think they go to these guys and say, so um, you could cash in right now and just take life changing money and it will be awesome for you. Or you can just wait and see. And maybe if you get hurt or something, or maybe nobody wants to sign you for the money that you're going to want or whatever, or maybe you'll just have to change teams and it won't be this good. And also, by the way, we picked you in the third round and turned you into this level of a superstar. And that's been enticing. For these guys, it's been enticing for Xavier Rhodes or for Linval Joseph to sign an extension or for Daniil Hunter and to have him set now for five years. Uh, Any concern from you about the dip in sacks last year from 12.5 to 7? No,
1: because as Mike Zimmer always talks about, sacks don't tell the whole story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you had a lot of production from one side of the line with Everson Griffin and his numbers obviously dipped with the plantar fasciitis he was fighting through. Um, And that's kind of where Daniels' numbers went up. So I think there was a nice competitive balance on both sides of the line. And even this year... You get more of a push from the interior when you bring Sheldon Richardson in to, you know, be next to Linville Joseph and obviously on one side with Daniil Hunter at the end. I, I'm not really concerned with it that much because we saw it was a slow start. But once he started getting those sacks, what was it like week was it Detroit? It was like week four, five, six, somewhere in there. It was a steady progression from there. And I wasn't, I, you know, 12 and a half was an anomaly and you kind of expect those numbers to go up and down to me, the sack number itself. And maybe this is why they did this for Daniil Hunter, because when you're sitting down with Anthony Barr's agent, um, and trying to, trying to find out what kind of deal he's going to get as, you know, an outside linebacker who primarily in the last few years hasn't rushed the passer that much, doesn't have those sack numbers. Maybe that's where they're placing the importance.
3: And then that's the thing that comes with this is just now what with Stefan Diggs and Anthony Barr. So you've got Eric Hendricks locked up five years, 50 you've got Daniel Hunter locked up five years, $14 million a year, which if he gets back to that 10 sacks a year, I mean, this, this would be one of the best deals you could ever ask for, for that price, because edge rushers are going for so much more than that. And with the sacks, you're, I'm right with you with that, where it'll bounce. You look at almost anybody, even the greatest pass rushers of all time will have some years where they have 14 and some years where they have nine or eight, and they're just as good from year to year. Probably who you play against makes a difference, what quarterbacks you go against, all those things. And Everson Griffin's been great for a long time, and last year it just kind of came together for him to get 14.5, so I wouldn't be surprised at all if Hunter goes back up for his sack total next year. The fact that he's only 23 years old is such a big part of this. But now, Stefan Diggs, Anthony Barr,
1: is Diggs the guy that's going to wait and see, do you think? Unfortunately, yes. I I do think that. I think he will be the odd man out. Um, And as we've talked about multiple times here and on the Purple Podcast, it's because of The rest of the situation that you have among your receiving core. What are you going to do with Adam Thielen if you give Diggs a Jarvis Landry type deal where he's making anywhere from thirteen to fifteen million a year? Mm -hmm. You have to restructure. It becomes an issue. If I'm if I'm Kirk Cousins, I'm vouching for that. If I'm anybody else on the offensive side of the ball, you see the importance of that. Why would you risk? You know, you bring Kirk Cousins into a situation now where he can get comfortable in this offense he has two of the he has the best wide receiver duo in the NFL why would you take one of those pieces away and have him start over especially regardless of how this year goes it might start off rocky it might start off great it might end rocky it might end great i think you want to keep that continuity and to me that's the issue there where he he said you know he likes minnesota he's had a lot of really good moments here in his career but He's going to be commanding top dollar if he has another explosive season. If he can play all 16 games, if he goes over a thousand yards, if he's in, you know, competitive in Pro Bowl voting and even makes the Pro Bowl. I mean, he he's a, he's a be working his way to becoming a household name in the NFL right now among young, successful receivers. His ceiling is so high. The Vikings, in my opinion, should lock him up now before you get to that. But I just don't think it's going to happen.
3: If you're Diggs and you're counting on playing with a better quarterback in an offense with an exciting offensive coordinator, John D. Filippo, and you're thinking, could I get 90 catches or could I get 80 catches if we're going to throw the ball all the time? I mean, you're talking about huge, huge money on mm-hmm. the open market, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's the one that doesn't decide uh, to sign the extension. But if they're able to sign Anthony Barr you could always then franchise tag Stephon Diggs and keep this team together. I mean, that's the that's the amazing part about the way this team is handled at salary cap is when you look around at teams who have paid quarterbacks big, it usually ends up hurting them in some way or another. But with this team, they are very close to signing Kirk Cousins for the $30 million and then being able to keep all the other stars that they have. I mean, that would be an incredible feat of cap management if they were able to do that.
1: And one note on his contract, NFL Network also reporting that it's a five-year, $72 million extension. That's $40 million in guaranteed money.
3: Okay. I'm, that's, and
1: that's a $15 million signing bonus, which capologist-wise, putting my capologist hat on, you can spread that out. You can. I've always
3: taken you for a capologist.
1: I mean, I kind of look like one, right? Yeah, you've
3: got that mean Me and
1: Rob Brzezinski crunching the numbers. <laughs> um, that's a smart move because of some of the cap restrictions that they face in the next few years through really the next, you know, 2 years with Kirk Cousins deal which can handicap the rest of these deals. I mean, you might not see the way the roster looks now. I mean, it's certainly going to look a lot different next year just because of the financials. So, I think this is a smart move. Um this was the one I just wasn't expecting to happen right now. I honestly thought that this would have been a franchise tag deal, just like the Cowboys did to Marcus Lawrence. So, you know, I, I, it, the importance that they're placing in the, on their pass rushers is just huge. And this is not surprising given how much Mike Zimmer, you know, just the emphasis with that defense that these are the defensive deals are the ones that are going to get done first.
3: The Neil Hunter again five-year extension, fourteen million dollars per year, according to our old friend from NFL Network. Tom Pelissero, Matt and Courtney in for Mackie and Judd.
0: Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. We'll be back in the game before you know it. Mackie and Judd on fifteen hundred ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. All right, people, let's get ready. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN.
2: 1500 ESPN has your chance to win your way into the X Games. Check out the 1500 ESPN stream player and listen on air for ticket giveaways. X Games Minneapolis returns to U.S. Bank Stadium July 19th through the 22nd featuring competition. From the greatest action sports athletes, musical performances by Cascade, Brother Ali, Ice Cube, and Z Plus X-Fest, and the X-Fest Interactive Village. More details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword, events.
3: All right, so Daniil Hunter is locked up to a long-term contract extension, and how about this? We have the Purple Podcast in here for Mackie and Judd, Matthew Collar, along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. And now our eyes turn to Anthony Barr and Stefan Diggs. You have the choice, Courtney. Who would you re sign first and how much would you pay them? If you had your choice, you only get one, Diggs or Barr. How much?
1: Diggs, without question. I mean, to me, this is, that might be a franchise altering move to keep him here, to keep him and, you know, use your cap space that you have currently, you know, with what, Neil Hunter's going to be making, it's going to be really only enough room to do one of one more. And I think with keeping Diggs and Thielen together for cousins, the investment that you made in this quarterback, give him his weapons. Um if he can stay healthy, if he I mean, he, he's he's been productive playing 12, 13 games a season, if he can stay healthy and not deal with any more of the groin issues, if he can play all 16 games and you know, you're getting huge numbers from him in big production. This I would I would anticipate this is a year that he's going over a thousand yards regardless, because he can stay healthy. This is somebody I would pay anywhere from the 13 to 16 million range. Good wide
3: receivers and their value now. And I think you see it with the Mike Evans extension where what was it 85 million mm-hmm. and fifty-five guaranteed? I think you see what their value is. I mean, we talk all the time, you hear all the football men go It's a passing league out there today, but it really is. And when you have someone like Diggs, who's as versatile as he is, where in one season he's their slot wide receiver and he succeeds that way, and then the next year they move Thiel into the slot more often and he's playing outside and he can get open any time and led the NFL in contested catches last year, bailed out. Case Keenum, many, multiple many times, times many many, many times. times, and he could have had more. I mean, there were, remember that Green Bay game at Green yes. Bay. Keenum under two or three balls to him that could have been long touchdowns, and his I think his stats would have been even higher had they played with Sam Bradford for the entire year and and were more focused on um, throwing intermediate routes and and more challenging throws that Sam Bradford could make. So your expectation now is that he's going to make Kirk Cousins better and. Cousins' role in this is important for me because he's got to have everything going his way for them to be a Super Bowl contender. He's got to have all the weapons. He's got to have all the wide receivers. He's got to have Delvin Cook playing well. He's got to have the offensive line playing well and on and on. Um, So I look at him as being much more valuable than Anthony Barr. Anthony Barr doesn't pick up a lot of sacks. He's a successful pass rusher when he goes after the passer, but, but that's
1: not been his role since he's here. I mean, he did right. it. You take a look at his numbers from 20, 30, 2012 to 2013 where he had 23 and a half sacks, at his junior, you know, his final years at UCLA. Why? I just was kind of confused as to why that didn't become a role in this defense? I mean, you saw his sat numbers what, for, what, four his first season, and they've diminished ever since then. Why has he not been placed in a situational pass rushing role? I mean, I understand with, you know, the way the Vikings play their defense, they're in their nickel about 70% of the time, and what his role in that is,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I kind of feel like you're, you know, handicapping him in a way by making him not play that role.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I think that might change. 11% was the amount that he rushed the passer. It's only 11% and he's good. I mean, he played really well last year uh, in a few games that were memorable against Chicago. He was big uh, against Pittsburgh. He was really good chasing down Le'Veon bell. It's not that he's, he's not a good player. It's when you have a linebacker who doesn't pick up sacks and isn't a main pass rusher. Like you said, um, is that really going to be worth more money than they already gave to Eric Hendricks, which was five years, 50 million. And I, I, generally think that it is. If he's a very similar player to Eric Kendricks and he wants more money, then sorry, man. I think we can replace that position next to Kendricks and they would even play more of dime packages and, and use more defensive backs and focus more on, on shutting down the pass. And they have such a great front four that they're going to be able to manage things for the most part. So I, I think if they ultimately have to let somebody go, it probably is Anthony Barr, considering just where the positional value is.
1: Yeah, I mean... As we said, he's—they're gonna—they're. This is the one that they've talked about all spring. Barr doesn't come to the first week of OTAs because he—they don't get the deal done ahead of time, which he was hoping, and he goes out gets the insurance policy. So he wants to be here. There's no indication that. He doesn't, he wants to, you know, whatever, like, you know, play out his fifth year option, let him test the market. He wants to be here. This is a good fit for him. I think we're going to see a different role from him. We started to see flashes of it in minicamp where they were playing him more outside in, um, you know, having him come off the edge a little bit more. He's good at that. I just don't know why it's taken this long. To experiment with that a little bit more. And, you know, come training camp in a month from now, we're probably going to be seeing a lot more of that situational edge rushing uh, from him just to expand that skill set. Because if you're going to make the money of an Alec Ogletree or a Vantez Burfick, you know, those are guys who, I mean, in that, what are they? In the the 13 ish million dollar range. You got to see more from Embiid. I just think they're going to be pointing the sack numbers, even though they don't tell the whole story of how good a player is. But to want to be able to command that in his worth for a guy who doesn't rush the passer that much, I mean, I think that that's what you have to do.
3: And when you look at even the pro football focus grades and things like that, they mostly have him as last year, 2016, not great at all. And I think we'd all agree on that. But aside from really his first year, just pretty good. And mm-hmm. pretty good is not really worth uh, that much money when you've got this crunch. If there were, if you went through this whole process, got cousins, got digs locked up, got Hunter locked up, got Kendrick's lo- locked up. And the only person you didn't come to a deal with was Anthony Barr.
1: I think you walk uh, away feeling, okay, this is, this is fine. We have in, and, and it's no slight on Barr, It's just the value for the cap space that you're going to have after this. They said they were 18 million under the cap. Um, to what that becomes now I think that just financially it's smarter
3: um, so Tony Romo said something really interesting yes. about the Packers offseason as the Vikings continue theirs today by re-signing Daniil Hunter and we're going to get into it a little bit with Jason Wilde later in the show but I want to hear what you think of what Tony Romo who has become very popular as a broadcaster, what he said about the Packers, and with this news of the Vikings locking up Daniel Hunter, what we think about Tony Romo's comment. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, in for Mackey and Judd.
0: Don't go anywhere. More Mackey and Judd coming up next. And we're out. On 1500 ESPN.